these friendships and these relationships that we have right here in church. In the context of the grace of God given through his son, we can come together for those moments that are exciting and for those moments that are terrible and tragic, for those moments that are mundane and just normal. We can be together in all of this. And so that's where we've been last week and where we're going to be for the next several weeks. And then in particular today, we're going to spend some time talking very specifically about the the qualities and characteristics of church leadership. What do church leaders look like by characteristic according to scripture? And and how do we know who who should be a leader in the church and 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 how what, what do we do with all of that? And so we're going to take a look at that. If you would, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to 1 Timothy 1 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. And I just want to tell you this today also. I often read the Bible on my phone, and you're welcome if you don't have a paper copy or even if you do, to pull out your phone and take a look at it and and use that uh, throughout the... uh, You have an opportunity to use that throughout the sermon. We just last week released a new app, and so it's just one of those things where if you've downloaded that app, you can go to the Engage button on the app, and you'll actually find a button called Sermon Notes. And this is our Calvary campus, and so you can press Calvary campus. You can actually find the Sermon Notes with fill-in-the-blanks and opportunities for you to take your own notes as well right there on the app. And so I just want to invite you to use that. The Bible's available on the app as well. And so whether you're using a paper copy or your, your, the app or the U version, whatever you're doing, I want you to be able to engage with Scripture today because that's what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 3 here in just a minute, but I'm reminded of a few things as I think about leadership specifically. I, I'm just remi- I'm just been really shaped by stories. I don't know. I, I don't know if you're like me or not. I've been shaped by stories, by books that I've read, uh, by movies that I've seen, and uh, and I'm, I'm just shaped by those stories. I remember when I was a kid, one of my favorite series of stories to read was the Sherlock Holmes series. Anybody ever read the Sherlock Holmes series? I love Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is this brilliant detective, and the bad guy, the ultimate bad guy in Sherlock Holmes is a guy named Professor Moriarty, and what made Professor Moriarty such a great bad guy was he was every bit as brilliant as Sherlock. He just was bad, right? And so I could see in Sherlock the good guy who was brilliant, and I could see in Moriarty this bad guy that was really bad. So let me modernize that a little bit for you. How many of you have seen the Batman movies? Anybody like Batman? Yeah, I like Batman because ultimately he's just a guy in a fancy suit, right? I love Batman. But if you look at Batman, one of his greatest villains is every bit as interesting and intelligent as he is, but he's just the bad guy, right? And it's the Joker. You've got Batman and Joker. You've got Sherlock and Moriarty. If you're a Marvel fan, then maybe it's the Avengers and Thanos. If you're a Bible fan, maybe it's David and Goliath, right? You've got You've got all of these different stories that show us these these really good people and these really bad people. And I just think to myself that somehow the quality of the people that stand against us speaks to some level about the quality of me as a leader or you as a leader or you as someone who is, is trying to stand up and proclaim what is right. And so if, if I look at the people who are always coming against me and they're nothing but liars, cheats, and thieves, and if they're nothing but idiots and complete morons, I wonder what that says about me as a leader, right? I wonder what that says about me as a leader. And then specifically in our nation, with this representative form of government that we have, I'm struck by the fact that, that if, we wanna, if we want better leaders, 
especially in a representative form of government, where we have the privilege of electing people into office and electing people out of office. If we want better leaders, maybe it's, it's, it's our responsibility to become better people because our leaders are a reflection of us and we are a reflection of our leaders. And I actually think that that's highlighted in Scripture in relationship to the church. I've had the privilege of being a pastor with First Baptist Owasso and with Calvary. In, in this context, I've had the, pastor, uh, had, the, had the privilege of being a pastor with this group of people, with, with Owasso and Calvary, for nearly 20 years now. And I can say with honesty that as much as a preacher in the pulpit shapes the nature of a church, the people in the pew, the people in the seats, you all have shaped me and influenced me. And so today, I actually believe I have a deeper, more mature, better relationship with God because of your influence in my life. And, and, I, can, and I believe all of our pastors can say that. Bruce Kobler has had a 23, nearly a 23-year relationship with the people of this particular community. And, and I believe he would say that he is a better pastor today because of the influence that you've had in his life. And I believe that we are a better church because of his influence in the life of our church. I just think that's the way leadership works. That it's not about someone saying, I'm big and you're small, I'm smart and you're dumb, I'm right and you're wrong, follow me because I speak to God, right? I, I don't believe that's the way leadership really works scripturally. And so we're going to see today some scriptural qualifications for those who would lead us specifically in the life of the church. And one of the things that I want us to see as we look at these qualifications is I want us to recognize that the people who lead us, no matter which location you're in, no matter what language you speak, the people who lead us in this church I believe should meet these qualifications at a bare minimum. They should meet these qualifications. I believe our leaders should be these kinds of people. But beyond that, I don't think that we're simply talking about the characteristics of a good leader today. I think we're actually talking about the kinds of qualities of character that we as individuals ought to aspire to have in our own lives Basically, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stuck on movies today. It's that remember the Titan quote, attitude reflects leadership, coach, right? Attitude reflects leadership. I want us as individuals, whether we ever stand on a platform or not, whether we're ever in charge of anything or not, whether we pretend to have authority or are actually given authority or not, these qualities of character that we'll discuss today aren't simply good for a leader. They're actually good for everyone who claims the name of Christ. They're good for all of us. And the reason why I believe that isn't simply that we influence one another as a church. It's because in some role, somewhere, you carry the mantle of leadership. You might be a mom carrying the mantle of leadership with your kids. You might be a teacher carrying the mantle of leadership with the students that you teach. You might be a grandfather carrying the mantle of leadership into your family. You might be an employee that your employer relies on to influence intentionally the other employees. You carry the mantle of leadership wherever you go. And specifically as believers, we have this responsibility to one another to carry 
the grace of our Lord Christ with us well, to be the kinds of people who enter a room and peace follows after, or the kind of people who enter a room and grace follows after, because we have intentionally influenced people in a particular direction, and the direction we've influenced them is a good direction. It's a direction either towards Christ or in a, in, in a direction that honors God or honors Scripture in that way. Does that make sense? So that's what we're going to talk about today, and we're going to, be, we're going to talk about principles very quickly, and then very practically, we're going to talk about how that unpacks in the life of our church, because this is a unique thing we're doing, that we're a, we're a church in multiple locations, we're a church in multiple languages, and as a result of that, there's some, some specific ways that we need to express these things and some specific ways we need, to, we need to do these things together. So we'll talk about the principles first, we'll talk about the practices second, so let's take a look at the principles first out of Scripture. First Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to be, and one of the things we like to do here in the context of a worship service is we like to honor the reading of God's Word by standing in honor of the word. So if you would stand with me right now, that would be great. And we'll read together 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1 and we're going to go all the way, uh, really all the way through the end of the chapter. So here's what this says. 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may, be, may become puffed up with deceit and fall into the con- condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much. You can be seated. You can be seated. You know, the first idea that I want us to see here as we take a look at what biblical leadership really looks like is that God prescribes some things in Scripture. There's some things that God prescribes in Scripture that are really important. First off, God prescribes characteristics for ministry leaders. Now, I use that word prescribe very specifically, and the reason why is sometimes in Scripture, There's times when the Bible is prescriptive, meaning do this, it will make you healthy. So sometimes scripture is prescriptive and sometimes scripture is descriptive. Sometimes it's not telling you what to do, it's simply telling you what happened. Um, You know, and 
it's a, there's an old preacher joke about the man who just opened up the book to Genesis and it talked about Noah and, and he just he read Noah and it said uh, and Noah took a wife and then he turned the page and looked again and then she was 30 cubits by 80 cubits by 60 cubits and he turned the page again and said go ye and do likewise you know and so it's just an old preacher joke that sometimes scripture isn't telling you what to do it's actually telling you what happened? Well, when it comes to church leadership, there's this interesting dichotomy. By principle, Scripture describes for us, excuse me, Scripture prescribes for us the characteristics of a ministry leader. It's prescribed right there in 1 Timothy 3 and several other passages of Scripture. But here's the interesting thing that Scripture doesn't do. Scripture doesn't prescribe for us exactly how a church should be governed. It's the reason why I can look up and I can see Presbyterian churches that God has his hand on. And I can see non-denominational churches that God has his hand on. And I can see Southern Baptist churches that God has his hand on. I even know some Catholic areas of our, of our world where I can see God has his hand on the work that's taking place there. And, and the Methodist church and, and all of these different evangelical groups that by denomination and by really significant belief, believe some, some, some very important things differently in terms of their doctrine, but in terms of the way their churches are governed, they're very different from one another, yet God has looked and said, in spite of the, the, the kind of governance that you all have chosen, I'm going to bless this work because the characteristics of a godly leader or of a ministry leader, those are what I prescribe. The governance of a church, the way a church operates, I'm, I'm describing that several times in Scripture, but I'm not telling you exactly how to do it. And here's the reason why I believe that's true. I believe it's true because I've seen in, in history that the church has survived and even thrived in every form of government that humanity has ever considered. Right now in China, the church has a living, vibrant, thriving expression. There are men and women of faith who are growing in faith in spite of the fact that the nation of China says it's illegal to be a Christian. I know of people who are believers in the Middle East, in some of the most dangerous places in, places in the world where it's, it's just unhealthy to confess that you're a Christian, yet the church, actually on the mission field for international mission boards, they'll tell you the church is growing maybe more so than anywhere in the world in places in the Middle East where you would think it's impossible to find a Christian. And I think that's because the scriptures have prescribed for us the qualities of character of a ministry leader or someone who aspires to be like that, prescribed the character, but hasn't necessarily prescribed exactly how a church should be governed, the way a church should. He's given us descriptions of things. And if the ministry leaders are living according to the prescription, then whatever form of government we think up, is going to be the kind of government that God can, can move with us in. And, and so the, the, the value, the importance, the significance is we've got to, as leaders and as individuals in the life of the church, these characteristics, we've got to get into our heart. And beyond getting them into our heart, we've got to get them into the practice of who we are. They need to be the knee-jerk reaction of our life. Not because I'm trying to be something I'm not, but because by the power of the Holy Spirit, I am becoming something God has already designed me to be. 
Does that make sense? He's doing that in your life. He's doing that in my life. He's doing that in our lives together. And together we make one another better. Now there's another passage of scripture. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. It's in Psalm chapter 78, verse 72. And this is a description of King David. And I think it's relevant to the principles that we see in the characteristics of a godly leader. Psalm 78, 72, it says, And David shepherded them with the integrity of heart, With skillful hands, he led them. David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. And so let's just go quickly through the characteristics I see in 1 Timothy and what I think that means when we say that David shepherded people with skillful hands and with a heart filled with integrity. The first thing that we see is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. It says, uh, Therefore, therefore, An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And so the first thing I see is that a ministry leader needs to be a person of character. That's just the very first first principle. Um, With integrity of heart. They shepherd the people. Character is this idea that with integrity of heart, the pattern of your life demonstrates faithfulness to God and to his church. That's what character is. With integrity of heart, the pattern and the habit of your life just demonstrates that you're faithful to God and you're faithful to his church. That's the first thing that I see. And I see it there in that passage. That idea that it says that an overseer must be the husband of one wife, that really means a one-woman man. It means that uh, I've known men who are married and monogamous, but they have a wandering eye. They're not really a one-woman man, right? And so it means they're faithful in the vows that they've made to their spouse and to their family. And then you see all those aspects of self-controlled, not, not, a, not a drunkard and, and, and all those other things. Uh, they living a, they're living a life above reproach. They're sober-minded. They're self-controlled. They're, they're respectable. They're hospitable. They're able to teach. Able to teach doesn't necessarily mean that they need to be able to stand up here as a preacher and preach, but it does mean that they need to have a skill at rightly dividing the word of God and explaining to others, hey, when the Bible says this, this is prescriptive. We can't avoid this one. We need to do it. Or, hey, this is, this is a moment that's being descriptive and we could, we could learn a lot from this descriptive patches, passages of things that maybe we shouldn't do and maybe things we should do and ways we could be better. And so he's, it, that's what that means. And so by character, with integrity of heart, they're faithful to God and to his church. The next thing we see is not just character. Someone who is a great ministry leader is also going to demonstrate a kind of competency. A kind of competency. A competency means you can get things done. It means you have some skills that you can use to benefit the people in the life of our church. You can also use that to benefit your community and to benefit your family. Competency specifically is with skillfulness of hand, you're capable of doing the work that's been entrusted to you. So these competent. The next thing we see is a calling, a calling that's on their life. Now, calling is something that it's not simply about me saying, I believe God's called me to something. A calling is always affirmed by a group of believers. This church is, is a church that is a, has affirmed my calling to be a part of the life of this congregation. About 20 years ago, there was this moment when they were debating over whether or not they wanted me to come lead. And gratefully, by a near unanimous vote, there was, I think, seven no votes out of all the people who voted. But, but of the people who vote, and I think that was because one person votes no just to see if we count, I think is that. And I think one person votes no if Jesus is coming in view of a call. I think that's the way those votes work sometimes. But, um, 
But this church has affirmed a calling in my life. And that's the idea that we're going to demonstrate that, that, that this person demonstrates that they have the favor of God in their life to fulfill a specific purpose. And my specific purpose here has been to serve the life of the church. As a result of that, I've been a lot of things. I've been the worship pastor. Um, I've, I've been the, the pastor that's helped with our senior adult ministries. I've been the pastor that's helped with our groups ministries at different times. I've worn a lot of hats because God's called me not to a task, but to a people to fulfill the things that God needs us to do together. And then there's this last piece of it. It's character, competency, calling. You also see in 1 Timothy, you see that there's a kind of chemistry. By the purpose and provision of God, we share common values. We share common values. Let me just show you that real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, it says, um, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Chemistry is that idea that we work well together. And, and this congregation, in this location, we've experienced that kind of chemistry with an entirely different body of believers, with the, with the people who meet in Owasso, at, at, at First Baptist Owasso. So much chemistry was there that, that when the time was right, God brought these two churches together, and these two churches became one. And we share together vision, values. We, we share together our vision, our values, our resources, our personnel. We share together our, our, our methods. We share all of those things together because there's this kind of chemistry that God says is really important, not just for ministry leaders to have together, but for churches to have with one another. And now we're one church in multiple languages and we're becoming, or multiple locations, and we're becoming one church in multiple languages. And I'm so excited about that. That's a great thing. Now, just to help you understand practically some things just very quickly that I want you to see, our church is elder-led with a plurality of leaders. So there are, there are, are a number of men, there's 13 men that function as elders in the life of the church. Um, four of those men are, are, are on staff. Four of those men are, are full-time vocational pastors. I'm one of those four. Chris Wall is our senior pastor. Brad Ayler is our group's pastor. Keith Davis is our missions pastor. And if you want to know technically, my title is executive pastor, which I think means minister of everything else. I think is what that means. Is, I think that's what that's all about. But we're an elder-led congregation. Those four men are joined by um, another group of men, and they're all elders. They're ruling elders in the life of the church. And uh, matters of vision, direction, matters of doctrinal uh, integrity, those things come before our church council. That's how that's the language we use, our church council. Now, where do those other men come from? Well, they're volunteers in the life of the church who have been elected and selected by the church. Well, why is this important? Well, it's important because no matter what position we hold, from senior pastor to anywhere else, we all serve as one under authority. We're all under the authority of God because Christ is the head of the church. Actually, let me pause for just a second. We're an elder-led, congregational representation kind of church. And so that means that the elders lead, but it means that we're representing the body of Christ in this location. We're representing the body of Christ in the life of our church. So those other men that outnumber the staff that are on the elder board, those men come from our core ministry teams. And our core ministry teams, that's our finance team and our nominating team, our missions team, our personnel team. It's our campus development team. Um, it's, those are those teams. The chairman of those teams are the other members of our elder board, the church council. And then that, they're, they're supplemented with three more people that are elected and selected directly by you guys. So remember when I said that leadership reflects the people of the church and the people of the church reflect leadership? That's why your involvement in the life of the church is so important. 
Because there will come a point where we ask you to vote on something. There'll come a point before we ask you to vote on something where we'll ask your opinion about something. And we need your wise counsel. We need your thoughts. We need your, we need your investment in the life of our church because this church will only become, under God's grace, what he intends for it to be with your involvement as you surrender and submit to his leadership in your life and as together we mutually surrender to one another out of mutual respect. You see how that works? It takes all of us working together to fulfill the work of God in this community wherever we go. So our church is elder-led with congregational representation and what that really means, just very quickly, it means that Christ is the head of the church. We all exist as one under authority. I don't stand here because I deserve it. And Chris never stands in the pulpit, our senior pastor. He never stands in the pulpit because he's earned it. And by authority, it's his right to do that. We all stand in this place or whatever position we hold in the church as one under the authority of God and in mutual submission to one another. And that's not easy. And you know that's not easy. I mean, how easy is it for us to submit to one another? It's a mutual submission that comes out of mutual respect. So Christ is the head of the church. Elders lead in the church. We've already talked about that. Our deacons serve in the church. I am so thankful for the men who are our deacons. Uh, you see them most publicly help with baptism and serve with the Lord's Supper. But I can't, back before COVID, when hospital visits were really possible, I couldn't make it to a hospital visit before one of our deacons was there ministering to a family. During COVID, it was our deacons that were making phone calls to every widow and every, uh, every uh, senior adult member in the, in the congregation just to kind of check up on people periodically throughout the week and, and to do things like that. It was our deacons that serve as Sunday school teachers and as worship leaders and, and as influencers in the life of our church. And while they may not lead, they have proven themselves to be the kinds of trustworthy men that whenever I, whenever I have a leadership question, I go to them and I say, I need to know your opinion. And they've kept me over and over from walking off a cliff, not because they have authority to stop us from doing something, but because they have my respect and we have the respect of one another. Elders lead, deacons serve. Our ministry teams, we work together. Our ministry teams work together, and then our body is deployed and self-governing. Now, we're a Southern Baptist church, and so that may be a strange idea to some of you that we're self-governing. It's a really simple idea, and it's this idea that there's not a church outside of us, there's not an organization outside of us that tells us what we have to do or how we have to do it. We're completely responsible as our own body of believers to make certain that we live and that we walk and that we act as closely to this word as we possibly can. And while we partner with other organizations like the Southern Baptist Convention and the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma and the International Mission Board and all the incredible works of ministry that we do together cooperatively, we're not doing those things because we're compelled to, because we have to. We're doing those things because we believe God has led us to. And we believe that God's led us to those things. Well, how is it that God led us to those things? Well, he put you here. And he put me here. And at some point together, through that congregational representation and that elder leadership, we came to the conclusion that together we should cooperate with these other ministry organizations for the work of the ministry in order to amplify the ministry and the message and the opportunity to share the gospel around the world. We're going to partner with one another and with these other organizations to do that. And we decided that together. Now, there's a couple of important things that I want you to notice. One of the things I want you to notice about our core ministry teams, 
finance, nomination, personnel, campus development, and, and, and uh, several others. We're making a strategic, because this whole idea of being multi-campus is relatively new to us, we're, we're making a strategic push to make certain that every campus is represented on our core ministry teams. And so right now, almost every one of our core ministry teams has somebody that is a voice for this location on the core ministry team. What that means is ultimately there will be people from this location that are serving as elders in the life of our church. That's a strategic attempt on our part. That's a better word than strategic. We are intentionally trying to make it so that this campus is represented on our core ministry teams and within our elder church council. We want to do that. Another thing that we've decided as a church, we've been praying for years that God would allow us to not simply be a church in multiple locations, that we wouldn't simply reach the world with the gospel right here. We'd be able to do that there and everywhere, and we do that through some of our partnerships, but more specifically, that we'd be able to do that in multiple languages. We've been praying that for years. And again, that's another example of where the church council has been seeing some things in the life of our community and casting a vision for it through Chris. And now the, the church has risen up and begun praying together about what does this look like, church in multiple locations and in multiple languages. What does this look like? And at the beginning of this summer, God answered so many of those prayers by allowing us to bring into our staff, into the life of our staff, Misael Gonzalez. Who is, yeah, who is our, t- yeah, let's celebrate that. That's good. Misael's sitting right here. And, and I can say with honesty, it's been so good to get to know Misael. I'm so thankful for your presence in my life. You are making me a better pastor, and I'm grateful for that. All these characteristics that I see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and that we've talked about in Psalm 78, I see those characteristics in you as one of our teaching pastors and as a member in the life of our church, and I'm so grateful for that. And I want to take a moment. It feels like right now we're less in Scripture at this moment, which I like us to be fully diving into just peeling apart a passage of scripture. But right now we're, we're actually just very practically talking about how do we do these things we see in the word? How do these characteristics of a ministry leader actually play itself out here? And so I thought it would be interesting this morning to hear a little bit from Misael, that vision that we have for us being not simply multi-campus, but also multi-language. So Misael, would you come up and just tell us a little bit about, about that vision that we've had and how we're expressing that and how that's coming to life in the, in the life of our church over the next few months and, and next few years. Thank you so much, Chad. Uh, before I say anything, I want to make sure you guys know that Phyllis is okay. She is Thank stable you. and Thank she you. is doing good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ambulance was able to come. So I'm so thankful for your response, for how you saw that and how we were able to respond together. You know, this morning, I don't think it's a coincidence. I, I had this this chorus or this bridge stuck in my head. And, and as I was standing out there with Miss Phyllis and it just rang so clear. And really it's this, is that, okay, sorry. I thought something else was going on. I was like, <laughs> so this is what rang clear in my mind is that I may be weak, but your spirit is strong in me. I may fail, but God, you never will. And so as I was thinking about that, Lord, my flesh is weak, I am weak, but you are strong. And that is exactly what was going on this morning. As Miss Phyllis was like, hey, I'm weak, I was like, no, but Lord, your spirit is strong in me. And so that's, I just want to make sure you guys knew and just kind of ease a little bit, say, hey, it's okay, thankful for how you responded. 
And so now I get to speak a little bit about what Chad was talking about. And I want to let you know, we've heard this word diversity a lot, uh, really in the past couple of months. And I've heard a lot of people say, you know, we need to have our congregations be more diverse. We need more diverse leadership. We need more diverse this. And I so agree. I think that is awesome. And we do need some diversity in all, all areas of our life. I think we can learn a lot from each other in that. But I don't think our goal should be diversity. Because really, being diverse just means there's a variety. And if I look at it, if I'm the exact same color as a person or from the exact same country as a person, we have different upbringings. We have different backgrounds. We're already diverse in a way. Like, though this person is my brother who we lived in the same house, we're diverse. We have different characteristics. So I don't think our goal is variety, but our goal is equity. And what I mean by that is that though we have differences, we see each other with value. We see each other with worth saying, I understand that both of us have this worth and we're both created by God. And though we have our differences, the Lord sees you, the Lord sees me. There's this equity among us, not just a variety because variety is a little surface level, but equity goes deeper than that. And so I want to make sure I say that because that's so important for us because we don't just see the color, which is important to see that, but so much deeper than that that we see our background, we see our upbringing, because that's where a lot of the understanding comes from. And so in light of that, what does that look like as we become a church who we speak two languages? Not just something of what we do, but it's who we are. Because truly, English, it's just who you are. Yeah, you do it, but it's who you are. And so when we speak Spanish, it's not something that we do, but it's who we are. So as a church, when we think of English and Spanish, it's not like we're going to be doing Spanish. It's Spanish is who we are. English is who we are. Because ultimately, I've said this before, I can eat some chicken fried steak and you can eat some tacos. And that's okay. And that is awesome, right? It's super good. So we can cross those cultural boundaries, but if we can't communicate in a way that we can understand, we are failing. If we as a body of Christ are not communicating with our neighborhood in in a way in which they can understand, we are failing. And so what we want to do is we want to communicate in a way in which Spanish speakers can understand And that's in Spanish. That's how it is. And so there's a couple of things I want to clarify and even kind of give us some examples of of some things that we ought to be careful of. And one of the first things is this, is that we need to be careful what we mean by the word Hispanic. Okay, because right now you're talking to a Hispanic man who speaks English, but then I can turn around and speak Spanish. So what do we mean by that? Well, really we just mean a cultural thing. And so the reason I say that is because I want to make sure we don't fall into a trap where whites help whites and browns help browns and blacks help blacks because that's not the case and that shouldn't be the case. So my question, every time someone someone comes to me and goes, hey, there's this Hispanic person and they need help and they need this, they need this. My first question is, what language do they speak? Because if they speak English, I'm pretty sure you can help them out. That's okay. That's awesome. But if they speak Spanish and you can't communicate and you see a need, man, please tell me, I would love to communicate with them and help them. And there's people right now within this room and our body that can communicate with them. And so the thing is, is we need to make sure we understand that is the language that's the barrier, not the culture and not the background. Because, man, I hope that we are a family of faith, a family that comes together and is like, look, it doesn't matter what background you come from. Man, we're a family. It doesn't matter what language you speak. We're a family. In my family alone, we speak two languages, and it's so interesting to walk in my house. And I'm over here with my grandpa, and I'm over here with my little brothers, and it's just a whole, you get confused really easy if you're not used to it. And that's how it is. And also, I want to clarify that we're not going to start another church 
we're not going to start something that's completely a part of us. But what's going to happen is that right now in our DNA, including all these other things, we have English. And what we're going to do is we're literally just going to inject Spanish into that DNA and do what we're doing already, but in Spanish. And so we're going to start like new small groups. And that's awesome. That's something to celebrate. But those small groups are going to be in Spanish. We're going to start another service like we have, like we're already doing right now, but it's going to be in Spanish. And the super cool thing about this is that it's not just going to be here. It's going to be in Owasso as well. And the super cool thing is, is that we're going to have people that are us, our church, that are going to be able to speak two languages. So when we go on mission trips, we're not going to have to go and say, hey, you from somewhere else, do you mind going with us? No, we're going to look internally. We're going to look at the body in which we already have and say, hey, our church is multilingual. They're bilingual. So our church is going to go to this Spanish-speaking country already knowing Spanish. And that's super cool. It's going to be awesome. And so I want to make sure that I just, I say these things because as we continue walking, there's going to be a lot of questions, but it's just as simple as this, is that we have a great King, Jesus Christ, and he has the greatest message in the entire world. And we long to share that because that gives us hope. That gives us peace. Oh my goodness, the Lord sustains us. And we want to share that with people around us. And we want to come together as a family saying, look, Though I may not be able to communicate with you and I, I can't really, you can't really communicate with me, that's okay because there's one thing that unites us above all things and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. His grace that covers all things. His grace in which connects us and we are one under him. His authority, his lordship, his kingship. And that is the greatest thing in the world is that our church, the church universal, knows no boundaries It has no walls. Love covers many things. And I just wanted to make sure I share that with you guys. And I know there's going to be questions, so please ask. There's there's no silly questions. I love having these kind of conversations because it really shifts our mind of saying, oh, okay, I have to think a little bit differently now and maybe use different words. Uh, Because really we're not starting another ministry. We're just doing ministry in the context of language. We're not doing ministry in, in, the, in other contexts that maybe are insufficient. And I think when we look at it that way, we will look at each other with so much love and so much understanding, saying, I get you. Okay, let's do this. And so I think, I'm thankful for Chad for letting me have this time to share with you. Thanks, Misael. That's awesome. That's very good. <clears throat> and I have to confess that if the choice is chicken fried steak or tacos, I pick tacos every time. So it's just, that's just me. That's me too. So that's the way that is. So we're going to, I know that today has been a little bit structurally in terms of our message and in terms of our time together, a little bit different than normal. I do hope that you've been able to see some of the characteristics of a ministry leader philosophically. I know we went through those things quickly, but very practically, I hope you've also been able to see some of the ways we are doing ministry here 
And so as we wrap things up this morning, I want to introduce you to some people because I want to answer some questions about on this campus, how do we do things? Because like I said, we're, we're one church in multiple locations and becoming one church in multiple languages. And so I think it's important for us to understand how do we get things done? Well, there are some people on our staff that represent kind of a global position. They make decisions that affect all of us on every campus. I'm one of those people as one of the members of the lead staff and as a member of the church council. I'm, I, I exist at a global level, but I also have a local home. My local home is right here in, in Calvary. That's, this is my local home. We have some people that exist in a position that is actually completely local. Their focus is local all of the time. So so let me just talk real quick, and I'm going to introduce you to some people. Um, you've met Misael. Misael, is on, he's a part of our global team because he's going to be developing the strategy for ministry to, that, that allows us to inject language into the life of our church at every campus, uh, everywhere we go, but he also has a home right here at Calvary. And so that's, that's how that's working. So Misael, you've met. You've also met Jonathan Watts. Jonathan, wave your hand at us. That'd be good. This is Jonathan Watts. He is actually uh, going to be driving our group's ministries right here on this campus. And so not only does he have a, a home here, but, um, but he's not functioning at the global level. Brad Ayler is our global group's pastor. And so he has this relationship with Brad that allows him to, to speak into those meetings uh, on behalf of the Calvary campus. And then they have the opportunity to speak into him on the behalf of our, kind of our global aspect. So Jonathan Watts is, is leading out in our group's ministries. And then we have Aaron Cole, who's in the back. Aaron, would you wave, wave your hand at us? There you go. Aaron's in the back. Um, and in just a moment, I'm going to ask you all to come up here, but not quite yet. I'll let you sit where you are right now. But um, Aaron is, is uh, functioning as our student minister here on the, on the uh, Calvary campus. And so anything that has to do with students or, or, or student ministry, if you have questions about it, you can go to student, you can go to her and ask her. Now, that doesn't mean that she's alone, just like Jonathan is not alone and Misael's not alone. I'm not alone. Jerry Smith and Caitlin Green and uh, some uh, some. New guys who have jumped in. There's this great team of student people who are who are doing some incredible things with our student ministry. But but Aaron is the one who's who's leading that that team out with our students. And then Bruce Finsler, wave, wave your hand. Gave up a wheelchair today. Uh, good job, Bruce. Uh, Bruce is leading out in our children's ministries. And so if you have questions about our children's ministry, uh, again both local home and local expression, but also ties into the global expression of who we are. And so Bruce is leading out with an incredible group of volunteers and people uh, that, that lead children's ministry. So that's Bruce right here. And then in, um, with preschool ministries is Kim Brown. And Kim Brown is right here. Wait, there you go. That's good. And we have this incredible growing group of preschoolers, which I think is awesome. And, and I, yeah, that's good. We can, we can celebrate that. I also like to tease that the best part of preschool ministry is what it takes to make preschool ministry. And so I like that. That's a good thing. Um, some of you will get that later, and some of you will just shake your head and go, I can't believe he said that out loud. So that's, that's good. Um, there's also some other folks that help us with our facilities. Um, it's uh, Rachel um, McAllister is right here on the front row. She helps with that. And, and so wave your hand at us, Rachel. And Kim Simmons helps us with that as well. She's not able to be here today. And then you'll notice right in the back of the room, the man who's been here and done such a great job of leading for such a long time is Bruce Kobler. Bruce Kobler is our worst. Yeah, let's celebrate him. <clears throat> Bruce Kobler is our worship arts connection into the life of the church. Now, Misael and I and Bruce Kobler, our positions aren't simply local. We have a home here, 
But, but Bruce's position is also a global position. He's not simply helping in worship arts here. He's helping us on Sunday nights with the Sunday night worship services. He's helping us with rehearsals. He's helping us uh, develop and, and train tech people and things like that and just doing a fantastic job with that. And so I know that Bruce's position here, since our transition, I'm so grateful just for his grace and, and for his spirit because We've gone through a season over these past three or four years where we've just been trying to figure out where does everybody belong and what's everybody best at and where should we go and what should we do. And, and with every transition, Bruce has just said, you bet, that's exactly what I'll do. Yeah, you bet, I'll be glad to do that. You bet. And he's not just said, you bet, he's done a really good job at every piece of it. And so I'm just thankful for you, Bruce, and, and for, for what you, you're doing to do that. Here's what I want us to do by way of invitation today, and it's going to be very different. Before I, I give you the last, uh, the last piece of it, actually, let me pause for just a second. Because of the way we do ministry, I want us to make certain that the answers to problems and the answers to questions and really the ideas for something new I want those things to be handled in the most personal way possible, okay? So in the most personal way possible. If I were to paint a picture of how to do that, it would look like this. You can show that up there on the screen if you want to. It would look like this picture right here. So problems or ideas, they start with you and then they spread out to the ministry team that you're a part of. So maybe you're an adult Sunday school teacher. Well, it would spread out to you and Jonathan. And then it would spread out to there, to the campus that you're on, from Jonathan to this whole group of people that I just introduced. And then from this group of people that I just introduced, the campus that you're on, to the global team. Well, Jonathan's partnered up with the Next Gen staff at every level. And so, so maybe it grows beyond us to that, to that Next Gen team. And then beyond the global team, it moves into the lead staff. Well, that's me, Chris, Keith, and, and Brad. And then maybe it moves beyond us into the church council and then, uh, or into the senior pastor and, and then into the church council. But the, the goal is for us to handle every ministry need, every problem, every vision that we have at the most personal level possible. And sometimes when we do that, dominoes fall, so let's expand that out to the next level. So let's expand that out to the next level. We want it to be personal. And with that idea that we want ministry to be personal, this is the last and biggest idea for our day. And so if you're not a believer with us, I want you to catch this. Or if you're a believer and you're not yet a member of a church, I want you to catch this. That your life with Christ, your life with Christ is incomplete without a connected relationship to his church. God made us for one another. And I'm sorry you've got me warts and all, right? Um, and that's part of it, right? Sometimes I'm going to make mistakes, and I need your grace. And sometimes you're going to make mistakes, and you need my grace. And sometimes I'm going to knock it out of the park, and you're going to love that home run because it'll be a grand slam. And sometimes I need you to hit the grand slam, or at least just get us on base, so that we can continue to play, right? Your life with Christ. I'm not saying you can't be a Christian without the church. I'm not saying you're a bad person without the church. I'm just saying your life with Christ is incomplete without a connected relationship to his church. We talked about this last week, that Christ loves the church. He died for the church. He's coming back for the church. And so I hope that today you would make becoming a member of a church like this a priority. And there's a process that we go through for that. If you want to know more about it, just talk to any one of the people that I just named after the service is over. If you, know, if you want to know what it means to place your faith in Jesus Christ, 
to trust in him for the forgiveness of sins because he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And that's why we can be forgiven. Any one of those people I just identified would love to answer your questions and be able to talk to you about that. But here's what I'd like us to do today for our invitation. And it's something that's a little bit different, and I am going to ask you to move if you could. But I'm going to ask those people that I just identified, all those people who are a part of this Calvary team, to come up here to the front, if you would. So Aaron and Rachel and Kim and Jonathan and Misael and Bruce and Bruce. And we've got to just have more people named Bruce, I guess. It would be a, a good thing. That would be a great thing. I'd like you to come up here. Our ability to accomplish anything as an individual or as a church, is fully dependent on God's grace, mercy, and loving kindness in our lives. And somehow in his wisdom, he's chosen to do that through leaders who lead, leaders who serve, and servants who follow. A week ago last Friday, Jonathan called a bunch of us and said, hey, let's go prayer walk the, the Calvary campus. And we did. And last week we saw some of the largest number of people in this room we've seen in months. And, we've, and you know what? It, it happened again today. And in student ministry, we had, I, we had a bunch of people in student ministry today. We're not able to run buses yet because of COVID. We don't know what's going to happen with all of that. But still, a huge number of kids in student ministry today. What a blessing that is. It happened because a leader led and some people followed and we prayed and God blessed. And so here's the, here's the, here's the invitation for today. It's really simple. Would you come, just pick someone here and just pray over them? Would you do that? Just come up to one of these people and you don't have to know their name yet. Maybe you do know their name, but pray over them and just ask God that, that he would bless us together as a church, that we would be the people who share the grace of God in this community and around the world and that he would show these men and women his favor and our favor, and, and us his favor as we do this all together. Would you, would you do that with me? So here's what I'm going to do. Let's all stand together. And I'm going to say let's pray. And I'm gonna, Brandon's going to play for us. And while he prays, would you come forward and pray for and with one of these folks? And then I'll just close our prayer out in just a few minutes. Let's do that right now. Let's, let's sing, Brandon. And, 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 and if you'd like to come pray with one of these men, one of these women, that would be fantastic. That would be great. Let's do that.